Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. This is Money and Me. I'm Michelle Martin. Good morning. We're taking a look at key themes that analysts and investors need to understand. To what extent will we see higher borrowing costs in 2023? Where are those Fed rates heading? Will it be a soft landing or a recession? Is the latter avoidable? And then we'll turn our attention to China. Are global investors dumping Chinese stocks to load up on others? Are they increasingly choosing to bypass China's market in favor of, say, other emerging countries that are maybe gaining from the geopolitical and growth risks stalking China's economy or are far removed from them. And then we'll take a look at the Fitch slap heard around the world. Uh, there's been backlash over the U.S. credit rating downgrade. Fitch has been forced, some say, into a corner and are defending themselves, coming out swinging. Uh, but uh, to, does it matter that Fitch downgrade of U.S. credit? All those questions answered today with Cheng Chai Sun, Head of Investment at Provident. Good morning, Chison. Morning, Michelle. Great to speak with you today. Now, during the latest USFOMC meeting, the Central Bank's Federal Open Market Committee raised its funds rate by a quarter percent to a target range of 5.25% to 5.5%, taking the benchmark borrowing cost to their highest level in more than 22 years. What is your outlook on interest rates going forward? Well, I think that the Fed is continuing to show that it is committed to bringing inflation lower. Uh, In the most recent statement, where they just raised the rates, uh, 25 basis points, as you mentioned, uh, they continue to mention the 2% target. So, And of course, that 2% target is still quite far away, despite the fact that inflation has been falling recently. Um, As we we recall, uh, headline inflation uh, has fallen from 9.1% in June last year to 4%, uh, uh, sorry, to 3% in June this year, right? And uh, of course, if you take out the volatile food and energy prices, uh, you would have the core CPI uh, at actually 4.8%. So it's, it's come down quite a bit. If you also look at the PCE data, which is the Fed's preferred measure of inflation, that's come down to actually 3% also by the end of June. But, uh, because, and it's quite a big drop because it was 5% uh, in February. But if you exclude uh, volatile food and energy prices, um, the PCE is actually at 4.1%, uh, which is lower than the 4.7% core PCE uh, in February, but not by as much. I mean, it's not as big a drop, of course, as from 5 to 3%. So I think what we can see is that uh, energy and food prices have been coming down mm. in the US, but probably the cost of wages and services is still quite elevated. So I think the Fed still going to focus on fighting inflation um, and keep the rates at a higher level for longer. Uh, I think maybe another rate rise uh, is not as likely immediately. Um, If you look at the market pricing for the Fed futures, it's showing a more than 85% probability that the Fed will hold rates at the next meeting. Mm -hmm. Um, However, I don't think you're going to see the Fed cutting rates anytime soon, especially since, uh, well, the economy is still doing pretty well and inflation numbers 
especially the core inflation, are still quite far away from their 2% target. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the economy. I mean, what do you make of economic resilience in the US reflected in the latest data? And to what extent can we expect the latest rate hike to have any significant impact on economic growth? Yeah, I think uh, right now in the US, I think uh, after all the worries earlier in the year about financial stability, I think actually financial stability in the US uh, is much stronger right now. Uh, I think sometime uh, recently the Fed uh, released their stress test results for the large US banks and actually, and even the regional banks also. And in fact, all the banks cleared the minimum regulatory CET1 ratio of 4.5%. So, you know, all the banks hold enough capital and can distribute dividends without restrictions. So this sort of also means that the banks are, you know, have are holding quite a lot of, I guess, bonds and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, But that's also somewhat of a natural hedge because if, say, the economy come, uh, weakens sharply, the Fed cuts rates, actually all these assets will increase in value. So in that sense... Uh, the financial system in the U.S. sort of has stabilized quite a bit. Yep. So, so that's one concern that has sort of eased that will, you know, could possibly have caused a, re- a recession. Uh, and then, of course, if you look at GDP growth, uh, first quarter growth mm-hmm. was actually revised up to 2%, right? Uh, it was originally estimated at 1.3%. So now uh, it's a big revision upwards and it's actually much stronger than expected. Mm-hmm. Wage growth has actually started to slow down. So it sort of peaked at about 4.8% in first quarter. And now it's down to 4.5% in second quarter. So it's sort of a positive sign in the fight against inflation right. uh, that wages aren't continuing their trajectory of going higher, but uh, sort of have moderated the increase. And um, the other key sign is that businesses continue to hold on to their workers. So while they might not be hiring as quickly, uh, we, do, we don't see that unemployment is going up because uh, companies are still generally uh, trying to retain workers rather than uh, right size uh, for most part. So, uh, and then you can see that in the consumption numbers because uh, it's slowing down, but it's not really going negative. Mm-hmm. So this is very important for the economy to manage a soft landing. So, I mean, right now, I think most economists are not expecting any kind of recession in 2023. But of course, uh, if rates continue to remain high and the economy continues to have to adjust to higher rates, uh, companies have to refinance at higher rates, that might have further knock-on impacts. And uh, so we're not entirely out of the woods yet, but most uh, economies have pushed their estimates of a recession maybe back out to 2024. Lots of key signals there you picked up on and uh, thanks for you know answering that question basically on whether or not the US economy is going to avoid recession. Just want to pick your brains on the latest US jobs report. So US employers added 187,000 workers in July slower pace than what we've been seeing but perhaps could be good news for investors worried about inflation. What do you think? Yeah, definitely um any kind of, uh, like I mentioned earlier, wage growth moderation, uh, 
a bit of a cooling of the job market will be something that is good news for inflation, ironically, because what the Fed is especially concerned about is uh, sticky services inflation, mm. uh, like wage price spiral mm-hmm. kind of situation. So they definitely don't want that to get out of hand. So if job market slows but doesn't entirely, you know, come off, and and then you know jobs go negative or and people start losing their jobs, then I think that is actually uh, it's good for inflation. It's also good for the soft landing scenario because that helps um, uh, reduce inflation without tipping the economy into an outright recession. Of well, course, uh, mm-hmm. nobody's. Uh, it's it's still a very hard uh, thing to pull off. So <laughs> we're still uh, everybody's still very concerned, of course, that there might be a recession. But if it does happen, it probably is pushed out at least to next year. A hard thing to pull off. We'll have more insight into how the Fed's fight against inflation is going on Friday. That's when we'll see the release of July price data. I want to switch from the US to China. Reuters saying investors are dumping on China and loading up on other emerging markets instead. The IMF still expects much of the growth this year and next year to come from emerging and developing economies with countries like the US, Germany and Japan expected to grow at a much slower pace than China and India. But that IMF report also noting that there are growing risks to China's economy following its post-pandemic reopening, especially in its troubled real estate sector. China seems to be focusing more on uh, remedying social ills um, than perhaps propping up businesses. But we have seen some support in that area. In your view, how should an investor think about investing in China given the current economic situation? That's a good question. Uh, I mean, definitely uh, the news coming out about, you know, how the economy is going uh, after the reopening hasn't been uh, as uh, positive as expected for the first few months. Uh, However, of course, as we've seen, uh, things can change quickly, like, you know, in the US, you know, they, they were expecting recessions, but now they're saying soft landing. Right. So definitely uh, all of this is just data points and, you know, we, we can't really predict the future that accurately. Mm-hmm. However, um, yeah, there are many different ways to invest, you know, in a geography. And uh, definitely China is a very key component of all globally diversified portfolios being the second largest economy in the world. So, I mean, I guess some of the ways to think about it is, of course, if you want to be very selective, if you have uh, expertise in certain uh, sectors or areas, you can try to pick stocks uh, from publicly listed equities, buy bonds, or maybe even consider uh, private investment, like private equity or private credit opportunities. And um, each has their pros and cons. Mm. But Definitely, it pays to be selective, of course, because uh, the economic landscape is uh, more uncertain now. And uh, I think right now, you know, definitely private investments can be very attractive as returns can be higher and uh, downside can be mitigated with good structuring. But having said all that, however, I think for, you know, um, most listeners Mm -hmm. would be investors at the retail level, uh, won't have the kind of expertise to assess, you know, these kind of opportunities or even maybe access to high quality private investments because that's traditionally uh, the realm of very big uh, long-term institutional investors. So um, really uh, one of the ways that 
uh, investors can continue to uh, get some exposure to China uh, without having to, uh, you know, have the kind of expertise for stock picking or for uh, private investing would be to invest in index funds or yep. ETFs that either track uh, MSCI China mm-hmm. or you could get uh, invest in an index fund or ETF that tracks a global index such as the MSCI All Country World Index and that has an allocation to China in it. And uh, it's definitely you know important to uh, maintain some allocation to China because of course uh, it's a yeah, as I mentioned earlier, second largest economy in the world. And also uh, the growth, um, as you mentioned, uh, is, can still be, is still likely to be higher than in the developed countries. And so uh, should there be any uh, unexpected upside, like suddenly growth surprises to the upside, you know, mm. uh, it will provide a, quick, a, a boost to the a globally diversified portfolio. Well, Reuters is saying that it's seeing a massive jump in uh, emerging market mutual funds and ETFs that exclude China uh, because U.S. and European investors are wary of being exposed to China. But you're saying um, maintain some exposure to China. Uh, yeah. Got it. Love it. All right. Let's talk now about the slap heard around the world. What are the implications in your point of view of that Fitch downgrade of the U.S. credit rating? My goodness, what a controversial move. Some saw it as unwarranted. Others saw it as bizarrely timed. I mean, what was your reaction? It came about 12 years, you know, after SMP downgraded the U.S. <laughs> to AA+. Plus. So I think 12 years ago, that was much bigger news you know uh-huh. it was it was the first downgrade and there was a much larger impact i think this one of course it's still significant still made lots of headlines but uh it didn't really impact markets uh as much as because it's already been 12 years since you know the first triple a rating was taken away uh and i think in those 12 years in the past 12 years what we have seen is that uh, the u.s dollar uh as a global reserve currency means that you know even though the u.s doesn't really have the highest credit rating. Um, the fact is that almost all risk assets in the world uh, use the treasury yield as the risk-free rate. And that means that you know the credit rating of the US does not really have uh, the same impact uh, as opposed to, say, the credit rating of other sovereigns that are trying to borrow in uh, US dollars or trying to borrow in foreign currency because of... Um, the sort of unique status that the US dollar has in the financial system. So I think we did see uh, bond yields rise recently, but that actually uh, is much uh, more related to uh, classic demand and supply issues rather than the credit downgrade of the US because um, supply of bonds is expected to increase significantly uh, because the US Treasury just announced that it will increase the sizes of uh, its upcoming auctions. That means, you know, upcoming uh, new uh, issues of U.S. Treasury. They, they plan to increase the auction sizes of the uh, two- and five-year uh, bonds by $3 billion per month, right? the three-year by $2 billion per month, and the seven-year by $1 billion per month. So what that means is that there'll be, like, you know, for two, three, five, and seven, it'll be, like, increasing in... Uh, there'll be a total increase of like 9 billion, 6 billion, 9 billion, 3 billion. That's like at least $27 billion increasing, you know, in just three months. Mm. They're also increasing the sizes of uh, 10 years and uh, by 3 billion, 30 years by 2 billion. So all of this increase, sudden increase in the supply of treasuries is actually what's 
sort of causing um, the prices to fall or the yields to go up because you know if you increase supply and demand sort of stays the same well, economic theory says that your price must fall until uh, people are willing to buy uh, what you are offering at the lower price and so in this case uh, with all this new supply coming in, um, investors are demanding a higher yield to hold treasuries right now because they have to uh, uh, they need an incentive to buy this increased supply. Now, the fallout from Fitch Ratings' downgrade of the U.S., some would say, is that the focus now moves to countries still holding that coveted top credit grade. This is the second highest credit grade, uh, AA+. So economies with the highest credit rating at S&P Global Ratings, Fitch and Moody's Investor Service include Germany, Denmark, Netherlands, Sweden, Norway, Switzerland, Luxembourg, Australia and Singapore. So, Chaisa, let me ask you this finally. Could a U.S. downgrade lead to a re-weighting among some investors towards the assets of other countries, maybe here in Singapore? Um, it's, it's possible, but mm. I, you know, I think given the fact that the U.S. Treasury market is the largest, most liquid and also really uh, sort of the bedrock of the financial system, mm-hmm. given that most uh, most models all use the U.S. Treasury as the risk-free rate, regardless of the credit rating. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, uh, in general, most uh, large investors would still find it very hard to uh, reallocate much away from uh, U.S. Treasuries, especially since actually most of the other AAA countries are actually fairly small countries. So the sovereign markets of those uh, countries are also not as uh, large and well and, and sort of deep and liquid. So even if investors wanted to increase a lot of exposure, say to Australia uh, or Singapore um, or Denmark, uh, the, the bond markets are not as big. So there's only so much more they can buy without you know, moving the market uh, prices uh, too high. And then, of course, that makes it not um, as attractive. So Fitch sending that signal that the U.S.'s debt situation needs to get under control is not news, not new news. And the U.S. Treasury, as long as people believe that story, that it is doing their job, the U.S. Treasury is a safe asset. Uh, you don't see the needle moving in terms of allocations. Well, yeah, for now, I guess that's, that's, that's the view. <laughs> we'll check in with you next week and see if that changes. Thanks so much, Isa. We appreciate you joining us this morning. Cheng Chai Sen is Head of Investment at Provident. You've been listening to Money and Me. I'm Michelle Martin. Thank you for your company and stay tuned. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.